Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 welcome. We've got such a special show for you today, and I'm so excited. So we usually have a buzz on the street, and I'll give it to you straight. Here we go. The future is already here. Come on, how many times have you heard that? Well, we've heard it a lot, too. I'm tired of hearing it. You know why? That was yesterday's future. It's gone. It's done. Today's future hasn't happened yet. If I wait five seconds after the end of a sentence, that's the future. And now it's gone already. It's been seven and a half years since I created Coffee Break with Game Changes for SAP. 372 episodes. Tens and tens and hundreds of thousands of listeners all over the world, and we're very grateful to you, and we have exciting news. Starting next week, this show will be transformed into something brand new and even more exciting called Technology Revolution, the Future of Now. I'm the producer and host. We hope to keep and retain and grow our very loyal audience all over the world. We're going to have a new format, new ideas, exciting future topics, and today is a preview of the new show. So officially, welcome, 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 welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you're always in the right place when you're here with me on the Business Channel. And thank you for your loyalty. Let me tell you who my four special futurists are today. This is so exciting. We're welcoming back Frank Diana. We agreed to call his last name Diana. We have a big debate on how to pronounce it from TCS. We're going to have his opening quote in a minute. Then we're welcoming back one of our other favorite futurists, Gray Scott. He's just a futurist in so many ways, and we're going to talk to him about what's new. We have a great opening quote from him. We're welcoming back Kai Gerlish at SAP, another one of our favorite futurists, and we're adding a newcomer to the panel, referred to us by the gurus at Voice America Radio. His name is Jay, the initial J, Paul Duplantis. He is the founder of EmergentWeb.org, and we'll find out what he does. So welcome to my panelists. We're going to do a quick roundtable, one at a time, on your opening favorite future quote Frank Deanna at TCS sent me the following from Winston Churchill. The longer you can look back, the farther you can look forward. Frank, welcome, and let's just kick this off with high energy. What does this quote mean to you? Well, the quote tied to the uh, topics that I wanted to discuss today, and that is basically that the historical view provides some insights, uh, actually can inform our future view uh, if we look back at what transpired so many years ago and how it played out and how that might influence or direct or guide how things might play out in the future. So I think it's a very, very relevant topic uh, for futurists. Uh, it's not always about the future, but maybe some insight lies in, in history. Thank you very much, Frank. Looking forward to speaking with you. And just so my listeners know, each of our four esteemed panelists is going to present their top three trends and predictions on the future of now. So this is going to be exciting. You may want to take notes, but the replay will be available in a couple of hours if you know someone who would love this and is missing the live show. Let's move around the table. Gray Scott has sent us a quote from Alvin Toffler, who coined the phrase information overload, American writer, futurist, and businessman, and his 1970 book, Future Shock. Oh, worldwide bestseller sold over 6 million copies so far. Here's the quote Gray has picked. One of the definitions of sanity is the ability to tell real from unreal. Soon, 
will need a new definition. Gray Scott, welcome back. How are you? And talk to me about your quote, please. I'm doing well, Bonnie. Thanks for having me back. Uh, the Delighted. This quote actually is because um, I have been asked to write a chapter in a book called Aftershock, which is a follow-up to Alvin Toffler's book. And in that book, I am dissecting the idea that we need to define reality and sanity in a new way because we're entering an age of AR and VR and simulations and digital twins. And so we we need to have a cultural agreement on what is sane in these different virtual and augmented realities in the near future. So, for example, if I am augmenting my identity, my digital identity, and if you augment your digital identity, and we have a different relationship in the digital world than we do in, in the natural biological reality, that deserves a new definition for not only reality, but for sanity. Interesting. Sanity is such a subjective word, isn't it, Grace Scott? <laughs> I, I can hear, and when I have you on the show, I hear people saying, I can almost hear them thinking around the world, really? What is he talking about? How scary is this going to be, these digital twins and, and looking into my brain and what's going on? A lot of questions about, I think this is a great quote, what will sanity be defined as? And maybe, in fact, Gray, each one of us will have to define it for ourselves and live with that for a few minutes to see if it works. Thank you, Gray. Great quote. Let's move around the table to Kai Gerlish at SAP. He has sent us a quote from Yuval Noah Harari, uh, Israeli historian, writer, author of many bestsellers, Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind, Homo Deuce, A Brief History of Tomorrow. I love that. And 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. Here's the quote. Consistency is the playground of dull minds. Kai Gerlish, welcome back. Talk to me about your quote. Yes, hello. Happy to be here. Yes. Thank uh, you. Actually, when I read this, I thought, well, this is rather provocative, um, and I constantly use it within our futuring workshops because um, when I ask customers to come up with a big future, I found out, the same with, with all of us, that I tend to produce a very consistent and neat future, and uh, these are usually boring because if you feel that something is really consistent, um, it, it, it actually has no edges. And uh, this is then not the future that will come, uh, come along. So I'm, I'm pretty sure this, this sentence is quite, quite uh, good. I like that. You know something, when we think about the future, I don't know how with everything we've got with technology around us, Kai, I don't know how anybody could even imagine letting their mind be dull. And, and this goes back to Gray's quote from Toffler about the definition of sanity. It's such an exciting time. And listen, whether you're in on all of this new, these new inventions, these new technologies, this new creativity, or whether you're standing on the sidelines saying, nope, not for me. I just want to stay with the same old, same old. Your mind is still sharp enough to make that decision. So I think, I think everybody can be on board. We need to go forward, whether you're in it or just observing. And who knows, people might change their mind. Kai, thank you and welcome. Now let's make one more stop around the table to our newcomer to Game Changers Radio, J. Paul DePlantis, who has sent us a quote from John Dewey. And, and I talked to Paul last night. He's going to let me call him Paul, even though it's J. Paul. And I was thinking, 
the Dewey Decimal System, and boy, did I get a shock. John Dewey was a philosopher, a psychologist, an educational reformer. He was one of the fathers of functional psychology and the 93rd most cited psychologist of the 20th century, and he is uh, one of the founders of the New School. Everybody knows about the New School, so very exciting, and no, somebody else was the other Dewey, Melville Dewey, founder of the Dewey Decimal System. Bad on me. Here's the quote Paul has selected from John Dewey. The self is not something ready-made, but something in continuous formation through choice of action. Great quote. J. Paul Duplantis, welcome. And tell me, what does this quote mean to you, please? Well, I think it serves a little bit as a warning of what we see going on around us. And uh, he really taught about the fact of experiential learning, learning by doing. And when we're uh, when we see experiences come our way, choice of action is influenced by the experiences we see. So now that we're all connected, what happens when powers that be providers are able to manipulate those experiences? When you search on Google through millions of searches and you have uh, uh, the top page that, you, work, that you, you see with Facebook, with Twitter. So it's, it's a little bit of a warning. And, and, you know, everything that we do is mapped and, and really is... Uh, kind of caused by the things that we experience. So we didn't, before technology, we didn't, we didn't have this connected level of experience. So it's something that I think is very telling and, and ties in with my three predictions coming up. Thank you very much. May I call you Paul or do you want me to call you Absolutely. Jay Paul? Paul, My okay. Call me Paul, so there we go. Well, <laughs> I consider myself one of your friends now, and, and I have to say that what you just talked about, choice of action, goes back to what I just discussed with Kai in terms of even if you're standing on the sidelines of new technology, you're still making a decision, a choice of your action. It goes back to Gray's quote from Alvin Toffler about needing a new definition of sanity as you're standing around the, on the sidelines, and it even ties into the Winston Churchill quote that Frank Deanna brought us about about farther you can look back if people are saying, Frank, oh, we've always done it this way and this is just about all we can deal with, then you've made that choice of action. You've decided on your level of sanity. You've decided not to have a dull mind. And I think we've, you know, to my listeners, I have to tell you, we never get together on a prep call with all the guests and say, okay, let's decide who uses which quote and how they will play off of each other. This is all done independently. And I love how the quotes all interact as independent choices. Choice of action, Paul, from all of my panelists. So thank you. Now we're going to do a little bit of a different spin on Coffee Break. I'm just going to ask my guests, what's your favorite drink in the whole wide world? Give me the drink, a little story, and then two sentences about what you do in your line of work or what makes you a futurist. So, Frank Deanna, what's your favorite drink story? And then just a quick bio of who you are and what you do. Go ahead, Frank Deanna. So, you know, it's probably getting boring for you, Bonnie, because I'm Never. using the same story over and over. Never. <laughs> So uh, my uh, favorite drink is red wine, and uh, I, I think I told you on the last show that I grew up actually making wine. And, uh, growing up in an Italian family, my father made, made uh, wine for years, and so I got a chance to taste uh, wine as a, as a very young youth <laughs> over dinner, and it stuck with me all these years. Um, and so bio, so as you know, I'm a futurist at TCS, and I do spend most of my time uh, speaking in various forums, uh, talking to leaders around the world about the uh, the future that's emerging, uh, the societal implications as well as implications to leaders, both governmental and business. Uh, and as we know from, from these shows, it's both a fascinating and scary kind of dialogue. 
always. Uh, are you more with the fascinating or more with the scary, Frank? Where what what, what world do you live in? I, I, I focus on the fascinating because I'm, I'm an optimist by nature, and I really truly see the progression that we're on uh, solving some of the grandest world challenges. So it's exciting. I like that. Solving the grandest world challenges. I like that idea. Thank you very much, Frank Deanna. Gray Scott, you're up next. What's your favorite drink? I don't care if you repeat an old story. And what have you been up to as a futurist? Gray? So I think my favorite drink is pineapple juice on the beach in the Maldives. (laughs) (laughs) Those two have to go together. Those two have to go together. So it's a drink and a destination. Yep. Uh, and if your listeners haven't been to Maldives, um, you should go while you can because it's probably going to be one of the first um, places to be lost to climate change, unfortunately. Oh, okay. Um, so that would be probably my favorite drink on in my favorite place in the world. Um, what am I up to? So, let's see. I will be speaking, I think, in November at NASA. So that's exciting. Ooh! Uh, Innovation Summit um, in Houston, which is which is very exciting. And then my primary focus, as you know, Bonnie, has been Futuristic Now, the YouTube series, and uh, creating more content for that video series. Very exciting. Thank you very much. NASA, wow, that's exciting. You're going to come back on the new series and tell us about that. Okay, Gray? We'll get you back. Absolutely. Got to know about that. Thank you, Kai Gerlish. Talk to me. Favorite drink? Little story, if you want. I love the way I love the way Gray put it together. We, we could have almost hashtagged every word in your drink description, Gray. That would have been really cool, and I might do that after the show. I'm busy hosting right now. Uh, Kai, favorite drink with a little story, and tell us what have you been up to, and what do you? How do you define yourself as a futurist? Yeah, my favorite drink is I joined the sustainability bandwagon is uh, coffee. So basically coffee with oat milk, um, creamed oat milk, because uh, mm. I don't like to drink cow milk. And uh, yeah, that's, that may, coffee may be an endangered species as well in, in the near future so due to climate change. So uh, I'm joining the, the, the ecological um, problems here. What makes me a futurist? futurist? I think... It, keeping multiple worldviews in my brain in parallel. So I try not to, uh, it's difficult, I try not to be correct. Like, uh, I think it's going that way or that way. I try to think as long as I can in parallel uh, pathways so that the future can unfold. And what I'm up to for the last uh, year, I have been busy with this innovation work here and especially busy with coming up with a new uh, workshop format that actually um, combines design thinking, future thinking, and innovation. So it's uh, basically a straightforward approach to get faster around, uh, get, get faster in finding the innovation pathways. Thank you very much, Kai. Pleasure to have you on. And now let's go to our newcomer to Game Changers, J. Paul Duplantis. Paul, what's your favorite drink? Give me a little story so we get to know a little about you and tell us what do you do? I know you're the founder of EmergentWeb.org. Paul, you're up. Yes. Well, my favorite drink is uh, Guinness. <laughs> and uh, to me, it just, it's, it's bold. It has an attitude. I love the flavor. Within moderation, of course. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, I had, uh, in the past, I'd interviewed a uh, proprietary of an Irish pub here in, in Phoenix, Arizona. And he told me a story about that they feed uh, horses, Guinness. <laughs> so uh, he has all these great tales about it, and it, it just it just carries an attitude and uh, boldness, and and that's kind of how I like to live my life, I guess. 
I like that. And tell us what you do. What is Emergent Web? Who are you? Well, I'm actually, so I, I work at a uh, motorcycle dealership, so I come at this a little bit differently than, than all of your, your esteemed guests there with our backgrounds. Very impressive. So honored to be on, on here with you guys. And, We're happy uh, to have I'm you. I'm a marketing communications director with a, a motorcycle dealership, Arizona Kawasaki and Kelly's Kawasaki, and four dealerships. And uh, I also have a background in consulting. I consulted briefly for a VR company, um, and I've consulted for a payroll company, to try an, an insurance company. But... For the last 20 years, I've just been overwhelmed by the thought of what technology can do from the user. So I don't really, I am a future, I talk about the future, but I'm, I'm more or less a commentator, an observationalist. I, I observe and I take it from the user level. That's where I look at things, is that I'm looking for the user and what can the user do with the technology at hand to make ourselves better as individuals. And that's, that's really, and, and I just so love what you're branding your show as the future of now. That is so incredibly important because it's not about what we're going to be doing. It's about what we're doing now and how we can affect through technology. So big fan of technology, extremely passionate about it. Uh, I'm hoping to add a little bit of, uh, you know, my, my own kind of insight onto it. And, but really, I come at it from, from a user and a, and a big fan of what technology can become. Thank you very much, Paul, and welcome. And you are one of our esteemed futurists because you're a commentator and because of the way you speak about it. And thank you very much for joining us. So now we're going to get into the guts of the show. I don't think we're going to take a break yet. It's only 20 after, and uh, I think we're in in good shape here. So what's going to happen next is I've asked each of my panelists to send me their top three trends or predictions on the future of now. This will be very provocative, very interesting, and it's going to be fast pace. So I'm going to spend the next eight minutes or so with Frank Deanna at TCS, and I'm going to read the title of the headline of his prediction, and Frank will tell us what it means, and Frank, you may have to defend it. I'll do a little bit of chatting, then we'll move quickly on to Gray's three prediction headlines, then we'll move on to Kai's and then Paul's. Then we'll take a break because I think you'll all be very worn out. (laughs) Not me. And then we will, if we might take a break, and then we will go around the table and discuss what we agree would be the top three of all of your top threes. And I will tell you that you're allowed to agree to disagree. That could be the most fun part of the show. So, Frank Deanna, you're up first. Prediction headline number one, acceleration. Talk to me. So that one's a fairly obvious one, I think, because if you talk to any leader out there today, the pace of change is something that they really struggle with. And so one of the key trends that I see um, advancing, obviously, is this notion of exponential progression. We've come up with a nice term to talk about this acceleration, but it really just speaks to the fact that everything is moving very, very quickly. The innovation that we're seeing both in technology and the sciences is really breathtaking. Uh, and given that pace, uh, it, the struggles become uh, both opportunity and struggle, right? So the struggle becomes... How do you make decisions around what to focus on when some things get so obsolete so quickly? And that's really one of the key challenges that anybody focused on the future is facing today, and that is the, uh, the pace of change, the, the, the sheer volume of, of innovations that we see every day. Let me ask you a quick question, Frank. If, if acceleration keeps accelerating, acceleration, let me say, to the power of A, acceleration. I just made that up. Gray, you'll have to excuse me for that. A to the power of A, okay? 
How fast can we go? Will we ever be able to take a breath again? Will we ever be able to sit down and enjoy that Guinness with J. Paul Duplantis and say, oh my, well, the future of now, we can get our arms around it. Are you saying, Frank, that we will just keep seeing the pace speed up? Will it wear us out? That's just a quick comment for you. What do you think? Uh, that this is a challenge, right? But so two mm-hmm. sides of this coin, we'll talk about the possibilities, but at this point, the challenges are how do you keep pace? There's societal issues in terms of society's ability to absorb this level of change at this pace. There's leadership issues in terms of what do you focus on when things change so rapidly. Uh, but the, the bottom line to me is it's not so much what you focus on, but how you structure yourself to shift. So one of the key challenges Ah. I see in organizations is the inability to shift quickly. Nimbleness and flexibility are not the core strengths of traditional organizations. So that's, to me, that's the thing that any leader can do. Make themselves nimble, flexible, and fast so that as the shifts come, and we know they will, they can shift with them. I love your answer. Absolutely. You put me in my place, and I appreciate that. How fast can we shift? And I happen to know a little secret that Gray Scott loves that concept of shifting because we've talked about it. So let's move on to your prediction or trend number two, Frank. You say possibilities. What does this mean? So that's the fascination side of any discussion is, uh, and, and go back to the grand world challenges, what we're seeing in the context of innovation, to me, represents enormous possibility. And I believe the next five-plus years will introduce so many different possibilities uh, that will advance human flourishing. And there's also the the downside of this. There's also the the chances that these things diminish human flourishing. And I think the balance and the management issue lies right there. But the the number of possibilities, the ability to, to attack chronic diseases like like heart disease and cancer, et cetera, the ability to feed the world, the growing population, uh, the ability to enable the disabled. Uh, those are all possibilities that I don't think anybody would ever say are bad things to pursue. And so I just see so much possibility in the next five to ten years. I love the optimism. And number three, convergence. Tell me what this means. So this goes back to the quote. Um, when we look back at history, I see a lot of, similarities between the period that we're entering and the period between 1870 and, let's say, the 1950s. And the similarities start with there was a period of great invention back then. So if you think about electricity, the internal combustion engine, the telephone, those were the great inventions that really spurred on a period of prosperity that the world had never seen before. Uh, But that didn't happen by itself. There was a convergence that happened across domains like business, the economy, the sciences, politics, society, and technology. Uh, And that convergence drove human action. It was the human action that really positioned us for that flourishing, for that uh, that area of uh, prosperity. Uh, But it it happened through catalysts. And here's where I think the the similarities uh, are pretty acute. The catalysts back then were things like World War I, which obviously wasn't a very pleasant catalyst, the Great Depression, World War II, uh, and a big one, the democratization of innovation. So those catalysts spurred on human action. Uh, we can go through a whole laundry list of things that happened in that period between 1920 and 1960, let's say, that set up us up for what happened post that period. But the big one was the democratization of the innovations of that day. So those three great inventions and everything it spawned were democratized. And when they were democratized, everybody got to benefit from the prosperity that, that emerged. So fast forward to today. What are the catalysts that will spur on human action that lead this era of great invention towards human flourishing? 
and how do we democratize that innovation? Because there are concerns that the wealthy will be able to live longer because they can afford those treatments. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll be able to afford the autonomous vehicles, et cetera, et cetera, and that leads to inequality. So how do we look back at history and guide our actions given some of what I just said? Thank you, Frank. Deanna, terrific. I'm going to great start to this part of the show. Grace, Scott, you're up next. Let's talk about your prediction headlines. Number one, VR, AR, and simulated realities are creating additional realities. Gray, talk to me. Well, Bonnie, what we have to remember here is that we are moving towards a world with additional realities, digital realities, simulated realities, virtual, artificial uh, intelligence is going to help us create these additional realities, and they're, they're not going to be like Pokemon. <laughs> they're not going to be cartoonish like Snapchat. They're going mm-hmm. to be hyper-realistic, meaning that the overlay that we see through our smart glasses or digital contact lenses or brain implants or whatever it is that we decide as a culture to embrace, that world is going to be hyper-realistic. So there will be a time in the near future where we move from the cartoonish sort of infantile um, augmented space into something that's hyper-realistic and so we will begin as a, as a species to forget that that overlay is there when we're viewing it through our smart contacts or our, our smart glasses. So the way that I've looked at this is, and this goes back to the opening quote, that we need a new definition for sanity. And my uh, definition for the future of sanity is cultural adherence to agreed upon technologically mediated or simulated additional realities. Meaning, as a culture, we have to agree that when you're in the augmented world, it's, all, it's okay to talk about digital twins or seeing something that's not in the room. That mm-hmm. is an additional reality. It, it doesn't mean that we're insane. It means that we've, we've migrated into a new reality that we've agreed upon. And this is a perfect example. When I first moved to New York, I think this was 1999, that summer, I would be on the street, and I would, you know, occasionally someone would walk up beside you while you're waiting at a red light on the sidewalk, and you would hear them talking to themselves. And this, at first it scared me. Then I realized Bluetooth was just taking off. Mm-hmm. They, they had already migrated into a new version of reality where talking to themselves, quote-unquote, was mm-hmm. sane. And so mm-hmm. what I'm saying is, is that as we augment our reality, we also have to augment the idea of what sanity is and what the definition of reality is. Thank you, Gray. And that's a great segue to your prediction headline number two. We are heading toward AI-assisted hyper-awareness. I love the word hyper. Not sure everybody can handle that. Gray, briefly, what does this mean to you? So technological complification is what we're talking about here, meaning that as we augment our cognition. As we use digital twins, whether that's in the workspace, whether that's in our private lives, we're adding a layer of complification to our cognition. So if, if an AI is assisting me in seeing the world, I'm suddenly, I'm suddenly able to see microwaves, x-rays, radiation, things that we don't see in our normal reality this is the new stage of hyper-reality. I can call up any design from any building, any engine, any airplane in my ecosystem as a business person, 
and I can see that in front of me in three dimensions. I can rotate it. I can share that experience with multiple employees and work in a holographic space. So this is the new age of the hyper-realistic sort of augmented reality. Thank you very much. And number three, perceptual influencers. I had to get that right. Who are they? What does that mean? So perceptual influencers are the future of social influencers, social media influencers. So right now, social media influencers are people who focus their uh, social media on themselves or a product they're promoting. In the future, if we're all wearing smart glasses, you as, as, a, as a company, you can send out digital assets for these perceptual influencers to wear digitally. And so when you walk into a party in the future, when you're viewing this perceptual in- influencer in the future, you're seeing a retail experience over, overlay on top of them. And what you see, Bonnie, may be different from what I see, and that's based on predictive data, big data. All of the profiles that we have, our likes and our dislikes, Perceptual influencers will be the future of how retail works, how digital assets are distributed, and how we get influenced as we move about the world in the future. Thank you very much, Gray. All very, very exciting. Kai Gerlish is waiting patiently. Kai, I said that to a guest on a panel about Two months ago, I said, Bob is waiting patiently, and he came on the air, and he said, how do you know I'm patient? So I I try not to say that, but I can't help it. I just think it's adorable. So as patient or impatient as you are, Kai has three prediction headlines for us. Let's see what's on your mind. Prediction headline number one, first state-supported empathy media to replace a social media in 2021. Well, that's coming fast. Kai, what in the world does this mean? Yeah, I thought about social media and the limitations. So there, there are two. First of all, they are not very empathy-driven. They are uh, click-rate-driven or uh, awareness-driven, but awareness in the kind of advertising pushing, so bad news spread fast. But it's not about empathy, so they're actually not social. Um, they're networked media. And uh, I thought that how do, how do we get over it? How do we get into a better system? And uh, I don't see any approaches in, in, in the private area. So I thought maybe one of these, um, one of the states comes up with an alternative, like a, like a social media that really, really filters according to empathy that we have with other people, with other um, yeah, races, with other opinions and whatever, so that we finally create a social media, not an unsocial media that spurs all these problems that we have right now. Okay, and number two, let's see what's on your list here. First, AI created artificial organism in 2022. Uh, I got to put my seatbelt on for that one. Kai, what do you have in mind, or what do you see that we don't see yet? Yeah, well, first of all, I'm a biologist by training, so I, I tried to find out what CRISPR-Cas is doing, and that's, yeah, it's, it's, it's spooky. So if you, if, we, if you think that... <laughs> Yeah, it's really spooky. So in the past, you know, let's say the DNA code is like a big book. In the past, we had, we could only, um, only work on pages or on large paragraphs of that book. So we couldn't, couldn't replace or put, put a page into it. That was clumsy. But now we can pinpoint down to a certain letter. So we can replace a certain letter in a very large book. 
And that gives us the opportunity not to just create new species, which we are already busily doing, but we have in parallel uh, already artificial life. Some, some researchers are working on it. And if you couple that with AI, with, with the machine learning capabilities, we will probably be very fast in creating new organisms. And I'm pretty sure we will use this to create artificial um, biology, so it's artificial organisms. If that uh, will kill us or not, we will have to see. <laughs> well, we're going to have to find out. That certainly demands a new type of additional realities, thanks to, uh, to what Grazer said and sanity, yes. And carbon sequestration. Kai, what is this? Yes. Fixing carbon out of the atmosphere. If, uh, um, yeah, I'm the only one in Europe, right? So in Europe, we, we, we now have a new movement, this uh, Friday for Future movement. And you see that the young people are really, are really getting serious and very rough uh, about climate change, and they're changing politics. So they're influencing politics. We had the, um, just the election for the European Parliament here, and it was a big, mm-hmm. big move into the Green Party, uh, basically driven by young people. So, and and uh, I had a workshop yesterday here with a customer, a customer of us, and the young people in that customer meeting, they were really, really, you know, putting putting along these lines, like, we have to care about sustainability, we are ruining the planet, let's do something. And I think, uh, as we are slow, and very, very slow, the only future that I see is that we start finally getting uh, carbon out of the atmosphere. So let's find a technical, uh, technical solution, because all the other solutions restricting ourselves have not worked out yet. Thank you very much, Kai. And now let's move on to J. Paul Duplantis waiting. I know you're being patient, Paul. And let's do your prediction headline number one, decentralized artificial intelligence. Talk to me. Well, I guess we'll start with the definition of AI, uh, the ability of a computer or other machine to perform activities that are normally thought to require intelligence. So the thing about intelligence, I kind of came up with a little phrase here, collective intelligence for us as opposed to collected intelligence from us. Mm-hmm. So in a centralized AI, what you see in Facebook or Google, and, and these larger companies have the resources to be able to uh, go after large data sets. So at this point right now, the way that we are is that they're able to take this information and be able to use it for us. So that's centralized AI, more or less. And then decentralized AI, which Ben Gertzel with Singularity Net is kind of the one of the leaders of this, is it's really leading to optimizing our user experience you know, for the benefit of the user. So you, you, he's creating a framework for people to build AI. So you're not just having the large Facebooks and large entities be able to access it. He's creating a, fam- uh, a framework so a kid in a high school class can actually access tools to build AI, that he mm-hmm. can build it for a smaller application or even a bigger application. But, but the difference between, to me, centralized AI and decentralized AI is the decentralized AI really speaks to the user. And as I said before, I'm really speaking for the user because the user are people. <laughs> and, and, and the yep. things that I've been observing over the years, when, you know, in the 90s, the web, I was so excited about it. It's like, oh, man, this is great. And then Web 2.0 came out. And it's like, whoa, <laughs> things, are, things are shifting here. You know, we have these walled gardens. You have these closed silos. And, and so what are they doing with these silos? They're using artificial intelligence to more or less render experiences that they feel are best for us. So my big argument with Emergent Web is let's start to build tools that we allow us, our, the people, to build their own experiences with the assistance of AI as opposed to AI leading. We, we need to have our hands on the wheel. I like that. 
new definition of sanity there. I keep going back to that, and it must be on my mind. Paul, number two, decentralized web. What do you got? Well, and that's well, the intelligence is side. That's you know, decentralized intelligence. Okay, on the, but that's that's using computers to be able to form intelligence. Now, the decentralized web, to me, is what Tim Berners-Lee is leading with his company, Interrupt, is about how do we organize these experiences? How do we manage these experiences? And, and Tim Berners-Lee, who I did have a chance to meet at a symposium here in California in the last year, uh, he's hard at work on more or less kind of uh, taking care of... He didn't make a mistake in what he built, but what he built was, was, was more or less brought into a different sphere of what he thought it was going to be. And so what he's doing now is he's building something, it's called uh, the Solid Framework, where he has these uh, personal online data stores that's going to be our personal vault for our own information. So I even asked him, when I actually had a chance to meet him, I asked him, Was that, will that take cookies into these vaults? And he said yes. So the idea of the Citrize web is everything that we do on the web is going to be contained inside our own private vaults that we will allow other individuals, organizations to access through permissions as opposed to this free form of, of what we have right now with advertising networks and everything else. So what's in our fridge that's tied to the IoT is mm-hmm. going to be in our fault before it's actually threaded out to the, the greater <laughs> universe. So it's, it's managing our experiences. And I think and, you know, the, all these three predictions are a framework of, of what we need to do to be able to control the user experience. Thank you. And we didn't get to number three yet. I want you to just briefly, because it, it dovetails nicely with one of Gray's. You talk about immersive technology, virtual reality, augmented reality, mixed reality, spatial computing. Just briefly, Paul, what's your take on these? Well, it's just, it's, it's going to be, and that's the thing, is we get the framework right, and then it, it is going to come. I mean, people can, can deny it, but we are going to have AR, we are going to have VR, we're going to have spatial computing. So we're going to be looking through windows, we're going to be looking through glasses, through our phones, and, and so the, the, what Gray was talking about, I agree with so much, is it's so incredibly impactful. And, and I have a quick thing here that I, that I talk about, it's called CAPE. Um, uh, creativity, awareness, productivity, and empathy. And I think that these emerging, these immersive technologies have uh, the more capability to be able to strike us as, as individuals and, and impact us. But again, we have to do it right because if we're going to put these goggles on and we're going to be thrown advertisements from, from networks, then I, I'm very worried. But if we come up and we find ways to have individual experiences really impact us, and like Kai was talking about, empathy, I mean, that's such an important thing. So immersive technology is a very important uh, technology that's, that's developing. Thank you, Paul. Wow, I'm out of breath just listening to the four of you. We really have a packed house today. If you're just tuning in, oh my, you've missed so much. This is a preview of a new show I'm debuting next week right here in the same time slot as Coffee Break with Game Changers. The series is called Technology Revolution, The Future of Now. That's a packed title. We have so much. And we're talking today with Frank Deanna at TCS, Gray Scott at Gray Scott, Kay, Kai, Kai, sorry there, Kai Gorlish at SAP and Paul, J. Paul Duplantis at the Emergent Web. We've just finished getting their opening quotes, finding out what their favorite energizing beverages are, where they enjoy them around the world, and what their prediction headlines are. We're going to try something brand new. I don't know how this is going to work, but let's see. I'm going to open this up wide open and see what you all think of each other's headlines. So, Frank Deanna, you talked about acceleration possibilities 
Series and Convergence. We're not going to talk about those right now, but what are your thoughts on any of the others, agree or disagree with Gray Scott, VR, AR, simulated realities, additional realities, heading toward AI-assisted hyper-awareness, perceptual influencers. Uh, Kai Gerlish talked about empathy media, about the first AI-created artificial organism, life, and carbon sequestration. And J. Paul DePlantis talked about decentralized AI, decentralized web, and immersive technology. Frank, any of those uh, grab you as uh, what you'd like to add to your list, agree or disagree? Just give me about two minutes, and we'll go around the panel and see what you all think. Frank, you're up. Yeah, so given that mine were somewhat more at a higher plane in terms of broad kinds of things, I think they all fit very nicely into the notion of both acceleration, clearly that's what's driving some of this, and also possibilities. Um, and, and so clearly the carbon piece great for the climate, and I do agree that technology is the only answer here given how we, we've been working that issue to date. Um, but, but all the other ones as well really changing the way we interact as humans. And the question that I'd ask the other panelists as we think about their predictions is this. Um, there's probably some element of human flourishing that it will drive and then some element of diminishing our humanity as well. Um, and I, the question I'd ask is, where, positive or negative in terms of where those things are going as, as they impact society? It's just a question I ask every one of these innovations in terms of where society is heading. Thank you, Frank. And I know one of your favorite topics, you and I, you and I have spoken on the radio, and I know you did a, an open a MOOC course for SAP, and we're going to do a show soon on digital ethics. And ethics is really a topic that does need to be brought in to every one of these discussions. Am I right, Frank? It's, it's who makes these decisions? What's on their mind? What does this future bring to humanity? Let's use the broad term. We could say society, civilization, culture, city, states, worlds, uh, countries, uh, regimes. We could say any of that. But humanity is a much nicer, broader topic. Just quickly tell me, Frank, how important is digital ethics, which I think uh, blankets everything we're talking about today. What's your quick thought on that? Yeah, at the highest of levels, it all goes back to what I said before in terms of the human actions taken so many years ago yeah. that helped drive those great inventions towards human flourishing. Uh, in, in a vacuum, this pace of innovation and all the things that we see exploding uh, have the potential to take us in multiple paths, right? So how, do, how does humanity drive it to the places where it continues to drive our, our own flourishing versus so many of the bad places that these things can go? So, yes, absolutely, at the center of all this has to be the ethics conversation. Thank you so much. Grace Scott, you're up. What are your thoughts on the other headlines, the other predictions from your co-panelists today? Any favorites in there? Anything you want to challenge? I'm interested. Grace Scott, you're up. Well, I think what we're hearing, Bonnie, over and over again, not just on this broadcast, but in conferences and uh, in the work of Foresight, is the idea of empathy and ethics. Um, mm-hmm. we're, we're suddenly realizing that we're creating these machines these algorithms with a neutral uh, mindset, right? Someone has to guide where these things are going. And so you're hearing this from almost everybody here um, in some way or another that, that we need to grab hold of this. We need to steer our direction as we move towards the future. Now, the one thing I do want to point out um, clearly is that often when people hear futurists speak about the future, they assume that we are advocating for what we're talking about. That's actually not true. Often we are just telling you what's over the horizon. We're not saying that we should actually go there. We're just telling you 
this is what the landscape looks like so that we can make better decisions. So, so just because the people on this broadcast are talking about, you know, AI and, and alternative realities and, uh, you know, advertising as perceptual influencers, I don't, that's not necessarily the future I want to live in. I'm just saying that if we don't grab a hold of this, that that's where we're going. And so what you're hearing over and over again, even in this broadcast, is empathy, ethics. Yeah. How do we decide as a, as, a, as a culture where we want to go and how we want these machines to serve us mm-hmm. better uh, than we can expect from, you know, look at what we're seeing right now um, with social media. It, it's a big disappointment. I mean, advertising was not the reason we created these things. We created these things to become better human beings. And so we have to figure out how to do that. Thank you. And, Gray, I'm going to add another word. We've said empathy. We've said ethics. I'm going to add the R word, responsibility. That brings up for me questions of whose responsibility is it to have and perpetuate and instill and train in empathy and make sure it's there? Whose responsibility is it to say we need to look at the ethics? Whose subjective opinion gets to rule on the responsibility? And I think, if, if to me, if we take that up to the, the tippy-top level of this discussion, that, to me, is where it all comes out of whose responsibility is to create and take responsibility for what we do. Thank you, Gray. Kai Gerlish, didn't mean to get philosophical there, but maybe I did. Kai Gerlish, what are your thoughts on the predictions from your co-panelists? I give you about two and a half minutes and then Paul will be ready to give his. So Kai, you're up. Yeah, thank you. I'm German, so I, I'm, I have the right to be philosophical now. <laughs> um, <laughs> Touche. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think what what I just what I just thought about is is actually it's you know in the very past so now we have a, all have a knack for history and I like really like that because if you don't know where it came from you you never know where where you can go to so I I think that in 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 the very past we were we were operating in clans in small groups and the future of that small group was defined by the clan it was more an egalitarian society. And then in between, we, we built up agriculture, we built up our uh, industrial systems right now, um, the industrialization, and now we are moved by a few into the future. So we, we, we so basically, compared to the, to the past, uh, all, all what we have to say has, has less meaning and impact, and that has to change. So we have basically go back to the virtual clans that can finally influence what we actually want. If you see the problem that we, we actually we want a fast change in behavior now, but we cannot moderate it because uh, our impact is, is 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 really small, and I think that's that's the society that we have to move into that that we can can tackle with what we really want to to where we really want to live in um, much better. And uh, I, I very much like like the, the the hint or the, the the direction the discussion takes that actually this is not the future we're talking about, and we still have the opportunity. To design the future we want to live in, yes. and that's that's really. Uh, although I'm German, I have to take on a very optimistic view here. Usually, we are not that optimistic, <laughs> but that's the way out. You know, design the future you want to live in, and not the future where humans don't play a role anymore. And uh, from all these trends here, we had that already. I think because it's close to what I said, perceptual influences is is of course one that I was chosen as uh, very very close to to what I think. 
Thank you, Kai. I think we need to change the title of the new series from Technology Revolution, the Future of Now, to Technology Revolution, Designing Our Future of Now. We're in trouble because we've already designed the new banner, Kai. So thank you very much for that. I appreciate that. (laughs) J. Paul Duplantis, I saved just about three minutes for you. What do you think about what your co-panelists have shared? We've got a lot of concept floating around here, a lot of words, a lot of big issues. Paul, what do you think? Well, first of all, I'm just so impressed, and I've just I've, I've learned so much, and I, I love to learn from from Frank and Gray and Kai, and, and just amazing what what uh, they're talking about, and from Frank on convergence. I had a company I set up in the '90s called Convergence Media, so that is so impactful and so important to Gray Scott's AI assisted hyper awareness. I can't agree more with with that. And then everybody's touched on empathy, and that's the thing I really want to focus on because you know as as human beings. I just don't think there's anything more important, you know, for to use these technologies to elevate our level of understanding of each other. And you can have a CEO. Uh, can they? What can any CEO do to understand an employee better and an employee understand a CEO better? How, how can we use these technologies not not to basically take what uh, you know a, a, what appears to be that you want to want to see, but what can we do to create? technologies for us to understand each other in situations. I had uh, gone through a, a VR experience um, with, with something from uh, Steven Spielberg's show uh, foundation. It was uh, the Holocaust, and mm-hmm. uh, there was a Holocaust survivor in VR, and you're able to actually go into Auschwitz and look to this Holocaust survivor, probably 95 years old, talk about losing his sister in, mm. the, in the gas chambers, and you see him talking in the gas chamber. I mean, what, what could that do for race relations? What could that do for all these different areas of to put, put people in these experiences? And not only through goggles. I mean, we'll be looking at our mirrors. I mean, one of the things I thought about is, you know, showing, showing a, a young person what they could look like through a mirror uh, through the, if they were uh, addicted to drugs. I mean, what, what can we do to have people understand uh, better the world around us and the situations around us? And I think that... VR and AR and, and, and spatial computing is, is prime for that. But I agree with everybody. There's so many threats. This can go the wrong way. And that's why I'm big on a framework about having an understanding of these tools, of these technologies, and build these technologies in a way that it speaks to the individual as opposed to necessarily just their provider. Thank you, Paul. That was a great example of empathy, a really tough one to hear, but a great example of empathy. So thank you. We have Four minutes left. I need about a minute and a half to close the show to thank the four of you and to talk about what's coming next on the new series that will be taking the place of Coffee Break with Game Changers starting next week. So let's go around the table briefly. Um, words of wisdom or uh, an overall prediction. I'll give you each really, oh, 45 seconds. Got to be brief. Frank Deanna, TCS, closing words from you. What's on your mind? So words of wisdom, I think, just ties back to what we were just talking about, and that is that uh, leaders need to take the future seriously. This is no longer a function of forecasting uh, or thinking in the context of five, ten years out. We all need to appreciate that the future is arriving faster than than most people realize. Unless we start really focusing our attention there, then everything we just talked about in terms of designing that future is just never going to happen. Thank you very much, Frank Deanna, TCS. Gray Scott at Gray Scott, futurist. What's on your mind? Uh, you have 45 seconds. Go ahead, Gray. Thanks, Bonnie. Um, I just want to say that, you know, this conversation, as we're seeing, is much bigger than um, economies or even business or any of those things. This, this, What's happening to us right now is that we are evolving. 
We are becoming a technological species, and our awareness is growing. Our consciousness is growing. And what I'm, I think we're going to see in the near future is that we're, we are going to be a hyper-aware species. And all the things that come with that are going to be magical, inspirational, if we focus on controlling and trying to get a hold of, of, of the future. Thank you. I love the introduction of the word magical, Gray. I don't think we said that in the whole hour. Thank you. You just brought us into another realm, AI, VR, everything. Thank you so much, Gray. And I like inspirational as well. Kai Girl is closing words, 60, oh, 45 seconds. Go ahead. Yeah, I take, take on it. Uh, so magic means uh, that, that you have to have a clear focus and you have to focus your energy in a certain direction. And... Um, for the past years, I have been an, an a rather observing futurist, and I think what we all have to give up is to be an observing futurist, but to create it. So I will uh, start engaging and speak up. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. J. Paul DePlantis, what's your takeaway? Closing thoughts, please. Well, I just want to add a couple of words to this when we talk about what technology can do for us. Uh, the, the two words are work and effort. If we don't, as individuals, put in work and effort in, in finding the things that we that interest us, if we're relying too much on the query, on the algorithm to, to find things for us, then I think that's where we're going to have problems. We, we need to build tools where we're a participant and we're not led. So it's all about the fact that we, we've, got to, we've got to do the work as users or else I, I'm just a little bit worried about where we're going to go. Thank you very much. It's okay to have a little bit of worry. We want that magic to be well-directed, and we want to be amazed, inspired. We want to lead and design. Thank you all. I am so grateful to the four of you, but I have a little prediction of my own here. Next week, we will officially launch right here in this time slot, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Business Channel, and whatever that means in your time slot around the world, please just stay with us. It's the same hour as Coffee Break. We're going to be talking about what's for a lunch a tuna and blockchain sandwich. Okay, I hope that's provocative enough for you. We're going to talk about food safety. Where did that tuna come from? Who prepared it? Who handled it? Where is food safety? Where is the, the science and the art of food safety in everything you eat, what you buy, whether you're a restaurateur, whether you're a food preparer, whether you just get takeout at the window somewhere and bring it home to your family, if you're a home cook, what is the source of all of the food you're putting in your mouth and your families, your friends? How can we be sure? So again, the topic will be what's in your lunch, a tuna and blockchain sandwich, and that that's a clue that we're talking about food safety. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I am so grateful to my four very special guests. I handpicked the four of you because I knew you would take us through the ending after seven and a half years of coffee break. I'm almost in tears. And we're launching the new show next week, Technology Revolution, the, new revolution, the Future of Now. So let's do the standard closing. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. And we all want to be game changers in your life and the life of society. Just do the right thing for yourself and the people you know. And be a game changer, just like Frank Deanna, just like Gray Scott, just like Kai Girlish, and just like J. Paul Duplantis. A big shout out to the Business Channel, to Voice America Radio, our engineer Aaron Keller at the Business Channel, to Jeff Spinard, CEO of World Talk Radio and VoiceAmerica.com, and of course to Ryan Treasure, my partner, on getting the new show next week off the ground. So we'll see you next Wednesday, June 5th, 11 a.m. Eastern, right here with the technology revolution, the future of now. Be there. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. 
The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week. 